0: All right, turn with me over to Exodus. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 6. And the title is Essential Worship. Now, Pharaoh's not going to think so, but God does. Um, Maybe even some of the children of Israel, as the heat gets turned up, they begin to wonder, how important is this thing really that we're doing? And uh, God is going to make it, he's going to be so gracious to them. And that's something I pray that you you'll see as we go through this and we watch um, them protest and finger point and then you watch how the Lord deals with them and uh, it just is a beautiful picture of how the Lord works and moves. So we're going to see the reaction of Pharaoh to the word of the Lord that Moses brings to let his people go. Uh, God's going to reaffirm his plan and then the new trials that develop for the children of Israel. Yahweh's going to promise to Uh, manifest himself to them and that they will know him in a way that no other generation had known him. And they're going to learn how to obey in the face of hostility. So let's begin reading this first section, verses 1 through 14 of Exodus chapter 5, where Pharaoh rejects the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God, Of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord, our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their, and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on them, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And their taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw, also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task and making brick both yesterday and today as before. So Pharaoh is not going to receive the word of the Lord, right? He doesn't want it. He doesn't care what the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, has to say. He doesn't know him. He has no regard for him. And as they say, but we want to go and worship, he says, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. You want to do this because I'm too... Nice of a guy. So I'm um, going to make you work even harder. And therefore, you're not going to have time to even think about going and doing this. And you know, right off the bat, I think one of the lessons we draw from this is the enemy is never going to support the church's or the believer's effort to go and worship the Lord. They're never going to applaud it. They're never going to say, this is just a great thing that you do. There's always going to be an opposition on some level. Moses comes in verse 1 and we read this phrase, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is going to become a very familiar phrase throughout Scripture where the prophet comes and delivers a message to a group of people. Uh, Most often it's a prophet of Israel speaking to the nation of Israel. But here you have uh, Moses speaking to uh, the king of Pharaoh. Uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and, and he, he's not going to receive it. But we just sang that song that, you know, you know we want to hear your voice. We want to speak. You know, this is what we really desire. We, sp- we sang of that great desire of hearing the voice of the Lord. And it's easy to sing it. It's a catchy tune. But do we love to hear the voice of the Lord? Do we love it when God comes in and speaks to us in a difficult situation about the trials or the hardships that we may be in the midst of, and he speaks about what we should do? I hope that you do. I hope that the idea of hearing God speak to you in your life and how to live it, and how to come to him, and how to have an eternal relationship with him. I hope that is something that makes your heart leap with anticipation to hear my creator and my redeemer speak. I can't wait to hear him do that. And this is what the father said we, how we should respond to the son when he speaks. In Luke 9.35 he says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Listen to what my son has to say. When he brings the word of the Lord, and Jesus said, I only speak those things that the Father has told me to speak. I only do those things that the Father has told me to do. I've been working, my Father has been working. And so he was a perfect representation of his heavenly Father. And and the Father comes on the scene and says, you need to hear what my son has to say. Now, Pharaoh doesn't want to hear what the Lord has to say. He has no regard for him. But we need to hear what Jesus says. We need to have regard for that. And here, here are just two statements, things that Jesus has said that are so important. We can make a super long list. But here are two things. How about this one? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to hear that. And we need to obey that. We need to come to God and worship and reconciliation with our Creator through Jesus Christ. You can't come just any way you want to. God has made one way for salvation to happen for the entire world, for every ethnic group, for every nation, for every people. There's one Savior because there's one God, and His name is Jesus Christ, and you can't find salvation in any other name than His. So we've got to come through Him. And I would, realize, I would expect that most of you in here this morning, you have done that. You have heard that word of the Lord. You have responded to the gospel. But I don't know. Maybe some of you haven't. Maybe you're dragged here by your parents. Or maybe you've been dragged here by your kids. I don't know. You don't look like you've been dragged in. But, I mean, you, you know, you're here. And maybe you're not real happy about being here. But this, this message of the gospel That Jesus died on the cross for sins. He rose from the dead three days later and calls all people to himself to have their sins forgiven that they might have eternal life. Have you heard that word and do you respond to it? Or is your response more like Pharaoh? Who's the Lord to tell me? what to? I do whatever I want to. You come to me with your little God. I've never even heard of his name before. I don't care what he wants. We should care what the Lord wants. The Lord also says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What an invitation to come to Jesus and experience the peace and the rest that he wants for your soul. That he wants to allow you to have a reprieve in him. And so wonderful words that the son has spoken. I hope you've heard him. I hope you're hearing him. And I hope you're obeying him. I don't know, maybe there's something in your life that man, God has been speaking to you. It's like every time you come and you hear a Bible study, all you can think about is this one area of your life. You turn on the radio, you come to a church service, your friends have a Bible study at the house, you hear a song, you hear somebody pray. It's all like one thing. It's like how can everybody be talking about this one thing? Because the Lord is speaking to you. And you need to hear him and you need to walk in that and you need to obey Him, But you can be certain that whenever God begins to move on the hearts of his people to draw them deeper into worship and into service, like we're reading about here, you can be for certain that the enemy is going to do everything he can to thwart that work. You know, I've heard people, you know, go through circumstances. I've gone through circumstances, and we hear the Lord. We think we're to step out in this area, so we make that step out into that area. And as soon as we do it... Everything gets crazy. All the straw gone. you got to do more work. Now people are angry at you. Now the beatings have begun. And, and we can begin to draw this conclusion. Well, I must have not heard the Lord. Because if the Lord was in this, the chaos wouldn't have begun. Don't ever think that. The Lord has promised you peace within, not peace without. It's peace in the storm that the Lord has promised. The storm is still there. And so maybe you have stepped out. You have come to follow Jesus Christ. And everything blew up and went crazy. Well, that should be an affirmation that you're on the right path. Because that's what we see happening so often throughout Scripture. So tuck this lesson away. Paul said that we are not ignorant to the devices of Satan. And here's one of his devices. Decide to step out. Decide to obey the word of the Lord and watch what begins to happen around you. The key for us is to know what has the Lord said. What is the word of the Lord? And of course, we got the Bible, right? We have the scriptures that tell us how to live, how to have marriage, how to raise our kids, how to be children, how to be good employees. I mean, you name it. All kinds of issues are addressed. But hopefully we have a a heart that is wanting to receive it, like that song we sing, and not like Pharaoh that's like, whatever, just buzz off, okay? And as you go, you're going to work even harder. You may feel like you're heading into the wilderness, but you know what? It's better to be in the wilderness with a God who loves you than to be in familiar surroundings and in bondage in Egypt, don't you think? Give me the wilderness any day with a loving God who's promised to lead me. Then the familiar surroundings and have to deal with the bondage or keeping back from what God has. So we step and we walk in faith. Now as we move on through this chapter, we come to verses 15 through 19. And Pharaoh's going to accuse Israel of idleness. The, um, the foremen, the elders are going to come to Pharaoh and speak to him about this new policy that he's put in place. The same amount of work. Uh, Same amount of bricks, but they're not going to be supplying them straw any longer. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord." Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. They knew they couldn't meet the quota. This meant there was going to be more beatings. The the rigor and the hardship they were already under was going to go to a new level, and they are they're filling that trouble. You know, the greatest use of a human life is to worship the Lord. This is Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is that is that we would we we would worship the Lord, right? We love the Lord our God. This is the greatest thing we can do with our life. Is to be a worshipper of the Lord. This is what you were created to do, is to worship him and to have fellowship with him. It's not the only thing, but from that everything flows. When we are worshiping the Lord as we ought to, now we can have the relationships with everybody that we ought to. And so it all comes out of this. But the first priority, the preeminent thing, the most essential thing that can happen for mankind is that we worship the Lord, our God. And Pharaoh is standing in the way of it and he's not going to like it. He looks at this and he says, that is a waste of time. That's idleness. It's not productive. It's not accomplishing anything. It's not something you really need. You just can forego that. Don't worry about it. But they are called to worship the Lord, they're called to go and worship Yahweh. It's not something that's complacent on their part or being lazy. Again, we should never expect that the world is going to cheer for our faith and our worship. They will look at it and they'll wonder about it. They'll say, why are you doing this? Why do you spend so much time at church? Why do you feel like you've got to gather? Why do you have to do this? They're not going to understand. They will not see it as a primary, as an essential matter of our life. And and we see it happening here as Israel begins to head out of Egypt. But we also see it in the opening chapters in the book of Acts. Remember, as they were worshiping the Lord and as they were proclaiming the name of the Lord, Peter and John were taken and they were warned and they said, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Which you really can't hold a church service if that's the case, can you? Because if you go to church, you're going to worship Jesus. And if you go to a prayer service, you're going to pray to Jesus. And if you're going to fellowship, you're going to fellowship around your common faith in Jesus. If you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to preach in the name of Jesus. They were saying, shut it down. Don't say anything else. And, of course, Peter responds and he says, yeah, I don't know about that. You can figure out what you want to do, but I know what we have to do. We're going to continue to meet and proclaim the name of the Lord. And and so we all have to make those decisions about that. They're, They're never going to applaud our gathering together. Now, as we move on, verses 20 through 23, we come to the blame game. Moses is going to be blamed and then God's going to blame Moses. Moses is going to blame God, sorry, the other way around. But look at verse 20 and 21, first of all. It says Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. It's your fault. You came here representing the Lord. And you said this is what God wants. And we did what you said God wants. And now look, we're about to be killed. You didn't hear from the Lord. You are a problem. And we are abhorrent. Or the, word, the verb there for abhorrent means to stink, to be offensive, to be repulsive. It's going to be used of when the Nile gets um, smelly. It's, used, it's the same word that's used of the manna that they hold over a day when they're not supposed to, and it's filled with worms, and it stinks. This is the word that is being used. They say, we stink because of you to them. And so they're blaming him. I mean, who, I mean, I, obviously, you can imagine how Moses and Aaron would have felt. They would have felt heavy-hearted. They would have felt, you know, like, oh, no, what have we done? Can't believe this has taken place. Um, so they need to have faith in the Lord at this point. But that's not the way it is. Their obedience to the Lord is considered offensive to Pharaoh. And sadly, Israel, the leadership, do not see their problems as being spiritually related. To them, it's just a a physical situation. They don't see this as a, a spiritual battle that's going on. They just look and say, you gave us bad advice. It's your fault. It's not God's fault. It's not the Pharaoh's fault. It's, it's your fault that this is going on. And so we we I blame you for this. They don't understand that spiritual element. And we need to be discerning of the spiritual element that goes on. I mean, we, we don't look at things and, and say everything that happens is because of a spiritual issue, but nor do we ignore the possibility of spiritual issues at work and in play. So they look at it as a, a purely as a physical thing. You're a terrible leader. You give bad advice, and we don't want anything to do with you. But that's not the problem. And isn't this the way Satan works? First of all, he'll attack. He'll create a problem. And then it's, it's outside attacking in, and then the inside begins to attack, attack each other. Does that sound at all like the last two years? I mean, does anybody got any ideas of what I'm talking about? I I imagine some of you have had some fiery conversations about your faith and following the Lord lately. And, And this is what happens. And even among believers, we begin to argue and we begin to fight. And I think the enemy just stands back and says, perfect. Got them exactly where I want them to be. And I'll tell you, even with this issue with what's going on over in Russia right now, a lot of, you know, churches around the world where you have um, Ukrainians and Russians together in a church, I mean, there's all kinds of tension that's going on in those churches right now. So, I mean, the enemy is always, he creates a problem on the outside, and then he tries to divide us from the inside. And all I can say is don't, don't bite. Don't go for it. Don't begin to gnaw and chew on your brother and sister in Christ. You may have a difference of opinion, but you can still communicate with love and grace as you do that. Well, verse 22 and 23, uh, we read, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people Neither have you delivered your people at all. You've done nothing. I mean, are you asleep on the job? Why has why'd you even call me? You've not done what you said you're going to do. And here's the reality: when we when we're God says He's going to move, we expect He's going to move on our timetable. We expect that He's going to do things that are most um, convenient and timely from what we can see. But guess what? God who dwells outside of time is not under any obligation to fulfill our time schedule. One author says, this resistance to the will of God would eventually lead Pharaoh's great, uh, to uh, Pharaoh's great demise and total failure in his vain effort to keep God's people from carrying out his plan to subdue and occupy the land of Canaan from this example, we may draw enough insight to realize that God may choose to wait upon his own timing, which is always better than ours. So God is going to make a statement. He could have delivered them, but God's going to make a statement through the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues that we'll start studying here, we're, we're going to see that each of them as an attack against one of their gods. And the Lord's going to make a statement I, you don't know who I am. Well, let me tell you who I am, Mr. Pharaoh. I'm the God that has just defeated all of your gods. That's who I am. And then he's going to come after them after the 10th plague at the Red Sea, and he's going to completely destroy them. And we read, so that he will never come after you again. And so, so often what we think God is wanting to do um, is like, this is it. And he's like, no, that's only a slice of it. I know that's all you can understand and all you can see, but I have so much more that I'm working and that I am doing. I know you've learned this as you followed Christ. You thought one thing should happen, and yet as you look back now in your life, it's like, oh, Lord, you were doing so many other things I had no idea about in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't listen to me, but you continue to press on. And this really comes down to something that is a matter of faith. Obedience to the commands of God do not necessarily mean an increase in comfort and peace in the world. God says go, so you go. And now, again, all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of trouble. And I think all of us have been at this place where we've, we, maybe we've not stated it like in two verses like Moses complains, but in our own spirit, man, We're we're writing a letter against God. We're accusing him, saying, you've done nothing at all. I mean, you've done zero. I mean, it's gotten worse since you got involved and we followed your advice. And maybe you've been in that place where you've taken a step of faith, and after you've done that, you began to think, oh, no, this is all going to fall apart. Has anybody ever thought that? Okay, yeah, two of us have. And I'll tell you what happened to me. So, you know, going back years ago, Um, And it was, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, I I think the timing is pretty close, a couple of weeks before the stock market crashed, the housing market crashed, and everything went haywire financially. Just, I don't know how far in advance, but I'm thinking it was just a couple of weeks beforehand. We decided as a church, that the elders did, that we are going to buy a radio station. We signed the contract, and we bought this radio station, which was just a frequency, but we had to get all the equipment, we had to build it. And that's the expensive part. As soon as that happened, it's like, great, we got a radio station. Stock market crash, offerings drop off. And I'm like, and you, we only have a limited amount of time to build that station. You know, you're not given forever. And so um, we did take some time. But if behind the scenes, I'm like, Lord, you tricked me. You totally tricked me. Because if we would have waited and made this decision today, we would have said no. And we wouldn't have done it. Now look what you've done to yourself. You've got a radio station and you hardly have any money. I don't know what you're going to do, but that's your problem. That's kind of how I prayed it. But I, but I did. I felt like the Lord had tricked us to step out. And, of course, it was a stretching of faith. A lesson of growing in faith that this pastor and... Your elders needed for other events that were going to come along. So we fast-forwarded to more recent times, and we decide we're going to leave the building, we're going to sell the building on Leesville Road that we used to own and occupy, and that we were going to, going to buy this But we, we loved that building. The building looked great. We had it just the way we wanted, and so we decided we were going to come over, and we were going to purchase this thing. Now, I, I realize very few of you probably were ever inside of this building prior to the way it looks right now. And I can assure you, find somebody who's here and they will tell you this building was, it was abhorrent. Okay, it smelled, it, it, it stunk. I mean, there was all kinds of, I mean, just it's a mess. I won't go into the details of it. And so what we, we made this huge step of faith. And, um, you know, many times I said, Lord, no, we're not going to do it because of this event. And he's like, nah, you're going to do it. Like, no, really, I'm not going to do it. No, you're going to do it. You know you're going to do it. And so it, w- I did it. And so we get through, um, uh, we, the building project's taking longer. We have to move into a temporary setting um, here on the, the, the grounds. And this is being built. It's just open to the sky. And then we finally get to, closed in, begins to uh, get to that place, and then COVID hits. Can't, you're not supposed to meet as churches anymore. And what's going to happen? And, and, you know, the big concern that I had was, oh, my goodness, we're in the middle. We're at the, you know... Middle of the building project, all the big payments are getting ready to come up. And we, you know, what's gonna happen? I mean, what's gonna take place? I mean, is the world gonna shut down? And so all of these things are running through my mind, and I'm like, I knew we should have stayed over there, I knew we shouldn't have come over here. Now, what's gonna happen? And and oh, and oh, we got a radio station too, and so. You know some of these pastors that are on, you know, they pay to be on, and so if you know the church is going to go through a crisis, then you know that's going to be the first thing they let go. So now the radio station, and so in my mind, all these things that the Lord had led us in, we stepped out into, began to feel like, you know, was going to be a liability. Um, But I, you know, worked through that. Came to the same place as well. Lord, you got a problem. You got a big, big building there, and you got a lot of money that you're about to owe. So I don't know how you're going to work this out, but Lord, you're going to take care of it. And of course, not only was it provided for, but we were able to, in that process, end up doing more than we even anticipated and had even more resources. And so the Lord came through. But these are, you know, you probably didn't feel it, but I guarantee you I felt it. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness, what did we do? And and so this is something that in all of our lives, the, Lord, the word of the Lord comes and he says, step out, do this. And we do that. And then now all of a sudden, things begin to squeeze us. And somebody begins to blame us. That was a terrible decision. And we think, yeah, but I was told by the Lord. Lord, and we begin to put our finger into the face of God. How would you respond to the Lord? Right, if you were the Lord, how would you respond to this accusation? What would be your response so move into chapter 6 and we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, You stinky little sheep herder. Who are you to come into my presence and question? He doesn't do that. But it would have been very easy for me to have done it. And to say, you're going to come before me and you're going to begin to question me and say, I'm not doing anything at all. But look at the grace of God. He says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will let them go, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, uh, but by my name, Yahweh, Lord, I was not known to them. It's not that the name wasn't ever known, but they were going to experience a depth and an understanding." of that name that was personal on a level that not even Father Abraham understood or realized. I I love the grace of the Lord here. And I think just a small little lesson. Notice that he doesn't call him names and he doesn't insult him. As a stinky little sheep herder, right? He doesn't do that. I want you to, to, to know this. Write it down. Think it through. God doesn't call you names either. God doesn't insult you and begin to call you dumb and idiotic and all these things. And yet, how many times are these the thoughts that are going through our mind and we allow the name of the Lord to be attached to it and he just rail against us? God doesn't do that. God doesn't speak to, this, to us this way. He'll rebuke us. He'll call us out of sin. Absolutely. But He doesn't get petty and He doesn't get mean spirited and He doesn't rail against us in that way. So, if this is the way you think God speaks to you, I pray you'll, you'll allow this moment of God's grace to, to change that. He doesn't talk to him that way. He realizes this is a very difficult situation and the Lord just kind of moves on. You now if you have children, you realize you cannot correct your children every time they do something wrong. If you don't know that, let me tell you, you cannot correct your children every time they do something wrong. Because there are some days you won't do anything else but do that. So you got to choose your battles, right? you got to find out what is it that is important. And young parents, here's some advice. Make rules. Follow the word of the Lord. But when you set rules in your house, set rules that you want to, care, to enforce. Because <laughs> as, as I'm talking especially to you dads. Because, yeah, we'll make a lot of rules. Now you got to carry them out. But, you know, you can't do that. Otherwise, you'll just, all you would do is correct your kids all day long. And the Lord doesn't even really correct. But what he does, he does address the issue. And he's like, all right, Moses, I realize you're stressed out a little bit. But let me just tell you, it's going to be okay because you're going to encounter me in a way you can't even imagine. You're going to know me as Yahweh, not even Abraham Isaac or Jacob had this personal, intimate knowledge of me the way you and this generation are about to experience me. How does the Lord answer this? The Lord answers the trial by saying, you're going to know me more, which is meant to alleviate the pain and the, and the, the concern and the fear. God's presence in your life is the difference maker. And So the Lord calls you out and now you have trials. You know, when Paul was going through a trial in his physical body, and he prayed three times that it might be removed. This is the guy who healed people all over the place, right? Healed people all over the place, and now he's got an ailment in his body. He's on the mission field. Surely God wants me to be healthy so I can travel and I can go and I can minister. And he prays three times for it to be removed, and it's not removed. He says, now I've learned to rejoice in my infirmities in my sicknesses, when I'm weak. Because in my weakness, I see the grace of God. The Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So now I boast in my weakness. And I rejoice in these things because I get to see God at work. And that is essentially what the nation of Israel is about to experience. Yes, you're going to go through difficulty and hardship, but you're going to see some things that are going to blow your mind. You're going to know me better. So the question that I asked And came to my own mind as I was studying this. If I had the choice to know God more intimately and more personally through my trial or I had the other choice of ease but to not know him, what would I choose? What would you choose? Better to choose the trial and the revelation of God than to choose ease and not know him more intimately. You know, in the middle of the trial... That's not usually the first thought that comes to our mind. We need to get there. But if you're, if you're kind of on the other side of the trial right now, and you're looking back on what you went through, you can probably see the way God sustained you, and you can see the way the Lord came and ministered to you, and the way he brought comfort and peace, the way you understood more of his ways and more of his, his power than you ever stood before, understood before. And, and you would say, I wouldn't sign up for it necessarily again, but I wouldn't trade it either. I'm glad that I went through that and how God revealed himself to me through those things. It was a failure. It was a, you know, it was a difficulty. It brought me to my knees. It, you know, I felt like I was going to be consumed and destroyed, but you know what? I can look back now and I can see God worked. And, and so I pray your choice would be, Lord, if I'm going to go through these trials, but you're going to reveal yourself to me in a way that I've never known before, I'll take it. I'll take it. You're just going to have to hold me, Lord. I can be a bit of a whiner and a complainer at times, just warning. But just, I want that, Lord. I want to know you. And and he will walk you through that. And so, what a promise. You're going to know me more than even the patriarchs. In verses 4 through 9, God reaffirms his favor to them. Again, meant to settle their hearts in the trial. They're, They're freaking out, right? We see at the end of verse, in verse 9, because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage, right? This is what they're going through. Anguish of spirit and cruel bondage is where the Israelites are. So the Lord seeks to address that. But we read verse 4. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel Whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, your God who brings you out from under the the burdens of the Egyptians and i will bring you into the land which i swore to give to abraham, isaac and jacob and i will give it to you as a heritage i am the lord so moses spoke thus to the children of israel and they but they did not heed moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage god promises to deliver them he promises he's going to give them land he promises they're going to know him in a way that they've never known him before but they find it so difficult one author writes, and quote is, By these words, God assured Israel of a special status. They were corporately his own people in a way that no other people were. For the time being, he assured them of his particular interest in them. And that is true for you too. You're God's special child, daughter and son. And he is giving you promises, and he is going to fulfill them. He's going to work. And so although you may have deep anguish of spirit and you may feel like you're going through a cruel bondage, it can't get any worse, know this, that God has called you to be his own and he has given you a promise of inheritance, of eternal life. And he's promised that you're going to rule and you are going to reign with him. The presence of the Lord and the promises of the Lord make a difference with what we go through. But we've got to keep those in front of our face, don't we? And we got to know the word of the Lord. This was the word of the Lord given to the apostle Moses to deliver to the children of Israel and Pharaoh. And they had to believe it and they had to hold on to it. Know that you are loved by the Lord, that you are chosen by the Lord, and he's going to fulfill the promises he's made to you. He's not going to forget about him. You're not going to be the one person that he doesn't come through for. Because his character and his, his nature is on the line. He will... Be faithful. So what do you do now? They don't believe. They don't heed Moses. So in verses 10 through 13, it's not give up. It's complete the mission, complete the call. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. (laughs) They don't even believe me. You think he's going to believe me? I'm of uncircumcised lips. I don't know how to do this public speaking thing. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He doesn't alter. He doesn't change. This is what I'm going to do. He re- recommissions him. He sends him right back out there. And maybe you've tried to run from what God's done, and he's just sending you right back out to that same situation. I think one of the enemy's greatest tools is discouragement. Now, you may have a different opinion. That's fine. I'm not trying to make a theological statement. I'm just saying discouragement is such a powerful tool when you expect God to do this and then other things happen. And you can get so discouraged. And I think what often leads to the discouragement is the timing of things, Delay. Delay will lead to so much discouragement. So we need to learn to trust in the Lord and the timing of the Lord and in the ways of the Lord. Lord, I don't see it. Actually, I see the exact opposite. But I trust you because you said you were going to do this. And so, Lord, I wait upon you. And that's, that's pretty much what Moses has to hold on to right here and to go back into it. Now, in verses 14 through 27, I'm not going to read them. Um, It's a genealogy that I'll let you read, but this genealogy is unique because it only talks about three of Jacob's sons, three of the tribes. It's Reuben, it's Simeon, and it's Levi, the first uh, first three sons that were born to Jacob. The reason why it's here is to bring you to this point in verse 27. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. So you you're basically have this genealogy here for the sake of understanding where Moses and Aaron came from and that they were priests. They had a right to, to, to walk in the priestly duties. And this gives you a little bit, bit of background. You know, we always see uh, genealogies as an interruption into our reading, but that's not the way it was viewed by them. Genealogies meant something. It, it tells them where you came from and um, you know, what your background was. They are very significant. Now, in verses 28 through 30, we close here. And the Lord you know, doubles down, tells him to go speak on his behalf. And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you, but Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And we'll pick up what happens in our next study. But just three quick closing points here. How amazing that God speaks to us. And the word of the Lord came to Moses. You know, we sang, Oh Lord, we love your word. You know, We want to hear your voice. But how do we respond to the voice of the Lord when he speaks? It's amazing that he speaks to us. It's amazing that he asks us to speak for him. He's saying, I want you to go on my behalf, Moses and Aaron, and say these words. And the Lord has asked us to speak on his behalf, hasn't he? We go and we preach the gospel. So it's amazing that God speaks to us. It's amazing that God asks us to speak for him to this world. And it's amazing that we're reluctant to respond to God when he says do it. And Moses is going to do it. Even with all of his you know, misgivings and questions and dismissing himself, he's going to do it. He's going to be faithful. And may we learn to be faithful, to hear the voice of the Lord, to be a voice to others on behalf of the Lord, and that we don't hold it back, but that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been entrusted to us. Can you believe it? Can you believe that the most important message that this world will ever hear has been entrusted to you? God has placed the gospel message within your heart and your mind. And he says, now I want you to go speak. And he trusts us to do it. Have you ever given somebody a message to go relay on your behalf? Have you ever had your kids go and share a message to their siblings that you've given to them? Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I, all, I think all of my kids at one point or time, you know, when they were being, growing up, we had, you know, this two-story house. And so we would say, hey, go tell your brother, you know, whoever, go tell your brothers and sisters to, it's time to come up and, and eat. And so, you know, if it was Megan going off, you know, she would go down there and you could hear, you know, Tyler, Whitney, mom and dad said, get upstairs right now. Well, we did want him to come upstairs, but it was to eat a meal. And, you know, so whether it was Megan or Whitney or Tyler who's delivering the message, I'm like, is that what I said to say? Well, I told him to come upstairs. Is that the way I said it to you to say to them? No. Okay. You don't get to repre- you know, misrepresent me. That's not right. The Lord has entrusted us with the message that's far more important than come to the dinner table. It's come to eternal life. It's come to heaven. And we get to call people to that. God's trusted you. He's trusted me. So yeah, let's be amazed that he speaks to us. Let's be amazed that he asks us to speak. But let's take up the amazing job of speaking it. And Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I know a lot of us... We're very familiar with trials and hardships and disappointments and things not going the way we thought they were going to go. But, Lord, may we learn to just trust you and to wait upon you to manifest your glory, to manifest your power. And so, Lord, we just want to stop and we want to say, Lord, we'll follow you. We'll obey you, even if we don't fully understand Just give us your word. Give us a word of direction. I want you just as a believer to respond to that. Is there something you know the Lord has called you to do that you have left undone? We don't have a right to not do it. We must obey the word of the Lord. We must follow him. We must worship him. So if you're leaving something undone, and you know it, nobody's got to tell you You just know, I've got to get to work on this. Then right now, why don't you repent and come to your loving, gracious, heavenly Father and just say, Lord, all right, I'm I'm ready to do it. I'm going to do it. Give me your grace. Maybe you need to see the presence of the Lord in your trial like you've never seen him before. Tell the Lord that. Say, Lord, I need to see you. If I got to go through this trial to see you in new ways then Lord I accept it because knowing you is better than than having ease And maybe you're the one here who we were talking about earlier you've yet to come to Jesus Christ you haven't heated the sun, and you've just been living your life apart from him but you hear the voice of the Lord calling you to essential worship you've been created to worship him and you know you've got to just quit you've got to quit running from him you got to you got to come to him right now. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do it? Will my life be easier? Well, maybe. Maybe not. But we we can assure you of this, that your eternity is going to be far better and that you're going to have the presence of the Lord in your wilderness that we all face and go through. And so come to him. Better to be in the wilderness with a loving God who will lead you and guide you than to be in a familiar place but in bondage. The Lord wants to deliver you. Come come to him. He still delivers people. This is what the gospel does. It sets us free. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. You can be free of the sin and the consequences of it today. But you got to come to Jesus. There's no other way. This is my beloved son. Hear him. So come to him.